Good evening. It is good to be together tonight. Look around the room and smile. Isn't that great? It's just great to see everybody here together this evening. If you're a guest, we are glad that you're with us as we worship our God together. Thank you for joining us and hope we can get a chance to get to know you a little bit better. There's this inward struggle that always takes place whenever the youth minister stands up and addresses the audience. There's this struggle where you always want to talk about youth ministry. I always want to do that. I hope I don't do that too often, but I do want to take just a minute and just say something about it because I'm not sure any other way to put it except we're blessed. We are so blessed at Mount Juliet to have a youth program like we have, and I, I can't think of a, of a better time to be a kid than, than right now uh, here in this, this congregation. I, I want to thank you. Uh, for your support of the youth program, uh, all the families who are here who've done so many things for the youth group, the elders who are constantly supporting them, Jody Marble, who's now moved here to start working with us and the great job that he did this morning. It's a great time to get involved in the youth program if you're not involved. If you've got kids that have been a little bit on the fence or maybe you've been a little on the fence about it, please talk to me. I'd love to talk to you some more about it. We're blessed here. I'd love to tell you more why. Another quick thing, I don't ever mention this, but we do have a youth group website. So if you don't want to talk to me about it, go check out the website, mjyg.org. That stands for Mount Juliet Youth Group.org. It's a pretty nice looking website. I think you'll find out a lot of great things that are going on through that if you'd like to look at it. I hope you will. All right, I know everybody's got one. Everybody's got one. Who is a person, maybe a celebrity, that if you saw them out in public, would just cause you to geek out just a little bit. You know what I mean? You're kind of going about your business, maybe you're at the restaurant, and this person walks in, and you drop your fork. You know? That larger-than-life celebrity in your mind that if you saw, you just, you'd have to stop everything. It would just, you wouldn't know what to do. And, and I want you to think about that. What would you do? If you saw that person, and they, they come into this place where you are, are you the, the person that's going to geek out in public and ever, let everybody see just how crazy about this person that you are? Are you going to kind of get really quiet and not really know what to do and, and maybe have a panic attack to yourself? I don't know. Maybe you're someone that you're, you're trying not to be that guy who walks up to the celebrity and is like, can I please have your autograph? I don't know how you would react. But I want you to think about that for just a moment. Okay. Before I say who this guy is... I just want to see if any nerds are out there with me. How many of you, before I even say this guy's name, know the guy on the screen? Not there's one nerd that you guys all recognize, but the other guy that's tall. Um, how many? Just show of hands. Does anybody recognize this guy? And if probably some diehard fans of the TV show Lost are raising their hand right now. Okay, this this guy's name is Carlton Cuse. Carlton Cuse, and he's not on the show. So you'd have to be a nerd to know who he is. And let me tell you why. Um, Laura and I went to, to Hawaii. We went on a trip a few years ago. And uh, it, was, it was a really great trip. In fact, while we were on that trip, we were so relaxed. Uh, it was a great time for us to do some thinking about life. We made the, the decision on that trip to move to Mount Juliet while we were in Hawaii. So that's a special trip to us. But anyway, we're there that one night. And, uh, and, and we're walking kind of along the beach. And if you've ever been to Hawaii, uh, it's really beautiful. If you've never been, you should go. But uh, you're kind of walking along the beach. And there's all these like ginormous hotels and these really nice resorts and so we're walking along and uh, and there's this is not unusual in Hawaii but there's a luau going on and so we're kind of walking around and there's a party and there's all kinds of those going on so we're, but I happen to look over at this one and uh, and I see this guy and I think and I say to Laura Laura I think that's Carlton Cuse 
And she's a nerd like me. All right? And so she says, well, well, let's Google him. So I get her phone out. We Wikipedia, Carlton Cuse, go to the image search, you know, do the Google image search. And, uh, and we find that he is, th this is indeed the guy that I think he is. He's one of the executive producers of the TV show Lost. I told you you'd have to be a nerd to find that out, right? So I knew that this guy, I, I thought that that's who that was. So I wanted to check it out first because that would be embarrassing, right? To like say something to him and have him totally confused with somebody. So um, as we're in Hawaii, if you know anything about the show Lost, it was filmed all on location in Hawaii. And so we're there and, and actually we found out while we were in Hawaii, they were filming the series finale, the very final episode of Lost, the one that everybody hated, right? They're filming the very, very final episode of Lost while we're there in Hawaii. And so I, I'm, I have this kind of geek out moment, you know? Should I be that guy who goes up and like just tells him how much I appreciate the show or should I just play it cool and just keep walking on the beach? Well, I chose to be that guy, all right? And so we, we figure out, okay, we got to sneak into this party. So we kind of go in through the, the restaurant of the hotel and kind of play it cool like we belong, you know, and, and we go there and, uh, and he's talking to this girl or whatever and it's been going on for a long time and I'm trying to be really polite, but finally I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm, excuse me, I had to do that. And uh, I said, I just want to say, Thank you so much for the show. We, we've really enjoyed Lost. It's just been a, a great show. We really appreciate what you've done. And he was like, oh, thank you so much. And just really, really cool guy. And, uh, and then I got a picture made with him. Super nice guy. And, uh, and so, I don't know. I don't know who that person is in your mind that, that kind of makes you freak out. But I want you to imagine another scenario. Imagine that you're living in the time of Jesus Christ. And you find out that this larger-than-life individual, that this bigger-than-your-mind-can-even-make-him celebrity is not only in your city and is not only in your area, but he is walking down the road where you're standing. What do you do? Are you that person who geeks out a little bit and goes to see him? Or are you that person who plays it cool and watches him as he passes by. Tonight I want to show you about, I want to show you a man, tell you a story about a man who reacted in a very neat way. Bartimaeus is his name. Let's look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 verse 46. We'll start there. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen for you. So I hope you can see it. We'll try our best to make the slides large for you. Mark 10 verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Here you are. Christ is coming down the street where you're sitting. What do we know about Bartimaeus? Two things right off the bat. First of all, he's blind. Second of all, he's a beggar. That's two really tough obstacles to overcome. First of all, blindness. They didn't have Dr. Ming Wang to just take care of business for you back then. We're talking about a really tough handicap for someone to be dealing with and, and you really had to rely on the other people that were around you uh, to tell you what was going on and, and also there's that whole do you actually trust the people who are telling you what's happening around you. And then there's that word beggar. And by the way, where's Bartimaeus begging? Did you catch it? In our day and age, where do we find a lot of people who are in need of money? A lot of people who have 
found themselves at the end of their rope. There's a reason that Bartimaeus is sitting where he's sitting, and there's a reason that when we get off the interstate ramp, they're standing where they're standing. It's because it's a very high traffic area. And, uh, and so Bartimaeus is standing, sitting by the roadside. He knows that a lot of foot traffic will be here, and he knows how important that it is for him to be there. And it looks like he's standing, sitting at the road that leads out of Jericho, so probably somewhere near, near the city's gate. So that had to be a, a spot with very, very high foot traffic. Bartimaeus had to rely on other people's money and, and hope that they would be in just a, enough of a giving mood for him to have enough money for each day. And you're, think about what that would mean. Your, your life depends on the very lives of others. And so day in and day out, this is his life. This is what he does. He's in a position where his life depends upon other people helping him in his time of need. And can you imagine this, this psychological tug of war that Bartimaeus probably would have had to play out in his mind a lot between skepticism and trust? Because on the one hand, you've been burned before. You've been ripped off by people. You've been done wrong. You've been done dirty. But on the other hand, he couldn't afford to be skeptical of people because his very life depended on that guidance, depended on that handout. And so he was very, very much codependent. But at the end of the day, Bartimaeus had to know that really he's presented with two real options. He can either trust people or die. Verse 47, and when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The third thing we learn about Bartimaeus is that he cried out. He cried out, and we'll come back to that thought in just a second because Bartimaeus isn't done crying out. Look at verse 48, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. The fourth thing we see about Bartimaeus is he was told to keep quiet. Oh, great. Here we go again. Here's Bartimaeus. Hey, Bartimaeus, not today, please. Jesus is here. Stop. Just shut it. Put a sock in it, okay? Don't bother the Lord. You're getting on everybody's nerves. Just chill out and be quiet. You ever been riding in the car with somebody? Maybe you're downtown in Nashville and you turn down somewhere on Church Street or down 2nd Avenue on Broadway and as your car comes to a stop you see someone standing there with a cardboard sign that says anything helps and someone in the car says that guy's here every day. You know what? I bet he's got more money than all of us in this car put together. Keep driving. I bet there's a reason that that guy's standing out there on the roadside. He brought it on himself. I don't need to help him. Or I'm not giving him anything. Did you see that report on 60 Minutes? about all the con artists that do exactly what he's doing. They make thousands of dollars a day. I'm not suggesting to you that you need to empty out all the cash in your wallet every time that you see somebody standing on the road in time of need. At the same time, I'm not telling you that it's wrong if you choose to do that. What I am suggesting to you, though, is that Jesus took time 
for a beggar. And if we want to be like Jesus, we need to take time for beggars too. You see, a lot of people, to them, beggars are a nuisance, an inconvenience. They're in the way. They're not worth our time or our money or our resources. And their, their voice doesn't really matter. It doesn't deserve to be heard. They don't deserve my compassion. How's your heart towards the poor? Do you ignore them? Avoid eye contact and go about your business? 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I want you to imagine for a moment the pain that this man Bartimaeus must have felt. I imagine that this was a man who understood what it was like to be mistreated. Who understood what it was like to be hurt by people. People who looked down on him. People who mocked him. People who belittled his existence. People who misled him. People who ripped him off. People who ridiculed him. People who rushed by him. People who ignored him. and People who didn't treat him like a person. He must have been a lonely individual. Why do I say that? Well, we don't read about Bartimaeus having a family to take care of him in his time of need. And so here's this crowd doing their very best to keep this man who's a little bit different quiet. They couldn't stand it. And so they tried to, to silence him. And the word that's used in verse 48 is a strong, authoritative word. The word is rebuke. They try to strongly correct him. But you gotta love the fifth thing that we learn about Bartimaeus. Number five, he cried out all the more. He cried out all the more, and, and many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He was louder than the crowd, and brothers and sisters, there are times when we've got to be a lot louder than the crowd. When the world told Bartimaeus to shut his mouth, he didn't care. Why? Because Jesus was worth the commotion. Does that make you uncomfortable? Christ and commotion, when you add those two things together into your life, that's not something we're real comfortable is, with, is it? But to Bartimaeus, Jesus was worth the commotion. He cared a whole lot more about having Christ's attention than the crowd's approval. Do you? What a tremendous life lesson for all of us. On those occasions when we're told to be quiet or to be silent or when the crowd tells us, man, don't be such a typical, old-fashioned, annoying Christian. Instead of giving in, in to that idea of, well, I, I better keep my mouth shut. I don't want to offend anybody. That's when we need to follow Bartimaeus' lead and cry out all the more. I love that about him. There was nobody that was going to keep him quiet about Jesus what about you? When you have a friend that says, hey, it's spring break. This week, 
let's just leave our faith at the door. Hey, it's vacation. This week, let's not worry about God. When the crowd tries to intimidate you and silence your call for Christ, will you get quiet or will you cry out all the more? Let's move on. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped. I love that. Jesus stopped. That's not a phrase that we see a whole lot in the scriptures. There really aren't too many times where we read about Jesus stopping in his tracks. Why? Why do you think he stops this time? Why do you think he stopped? Was it because he saw an opportunity to perform a miracle that would illustrate the power that he had and reveal something about his identity to people? Was it because he wanted to show Bartimaeus that, that he really was important to him? Was it to, to correct the crowd's response to a man that was deserving of their compassion? Was it because Bartimaeus was, was causing a scene and an uproar? Was it because Bartimaeus had a funny voice? I, I really don't know. We're not told. We're not exactly told for certain why it was that Jesus chose to stop chose to stop right here but later on in the story we're told we're told why Jesus healed him but we're never really told why he stopped he says his faith has made him well that's why he was healed but we don't really know why he stopped I think it may be because of what Bartimaeus was persistently crying out Jesus have mercy on me Go back to that scene of Jesus walking down the road, and maybe you thought earlier about that celebrity. And, and so here's Jesus walking down the road and, and this massive line of people that are lining the streets to see him. I never really thought about this, but have you ever thought about all the stuff that people were probably yelling out to Jesus as he's walking down the road? Have you ever really thought about what it must have been like to be a part of that, that mob, that frenzy of people? What do you think some of the things that they're crying out would be? Jesus, Jesus, heal my son. Lord, you're the king. Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus, hey, come and eat dinner with us tonight. We want to have you over at our house. Maybe people crying out, praise God. Lord, show us a miracle. Maybe some in the crowd saying, he's a fraud. He speaks blasphemy. He's a false prophet. Lord, Tell us another parable. Jesus, are you the Messiah? Rabbi, I need your advice. Hey, can you do that miracle with the fish and the bread again? And apparently he listened to that guy because he turns up doing it again later. And on and on and on. All these voices. All these people crying out for things. All these requests that people had and they're taking before the Lord. But Jesus stops at the persistent plea of Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I asked you earlier to consider what you might do. What you might say if that larger than life celebrity happened to show up in that place where you're sitting. Imagine Jesus coming and showing up tonight and sitting on the pew next to you. What would you do? What would you say? When you pray, do you realize that you're in the very presence of someone so great and so powerful and so important that he dwarfs the word celebrity? It just doesn't fit. He's too big for it. Imagine standing 
in his presence. Imagine him standing beside you in this room tonight while you're praying. What do you cry out to the Lord? Lord, thank you for this and this and this and this. And please be with this person and this person and this person. And you know how hard it is for me to love this person. And you know how big of a jerk that they are. I wonder, do we ever find ourselves praying the prayer of Bartimaeus? Do we pray prayers like that? If I can call it a prayer. That simple plea crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. When you see that and you hear that, you see Bartimaeus' words, does, does it sound familiar to you? You think about the words in this story and it sounds very familiar to the humble words of another man that Jesus speaks very highly of. And here's the cool part. Turn your Bibles to Luke 18 if you would. And if you scroll down, if you've got a smartphone, you scroll or if you flip to verse 35, here's another telling of the story of the blind man named Bartimaeus. And if you look back in verse 9, the same chapter but just a few verses earlier, I love this. It's like the picture gets even more clear as to why Jesus would stop and heal a man like Bartimaeus. Look at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So here's the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Why does Jesus tell them this story in the first place? It's pretty cool when you look at it. We're told the purpose behind this parable very, very plainly. In verse 9, he says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated other people how? With contempt. Hmm. Sound familiar? How were they treating Bartimaeus? with contempt, looking down on him and overlooking him like a second-class citizen. And what did the tax collector pray? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Brothers and sisters, there's something very powerful, something very effective about that simple prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. I don't know what your personal prayers sound like. Lord, thank you for this and this and that, and please do this if it's your will, and please don't. If it's not your will, help us do this. Keep us safe until the next appointed time. Perhaps we all need to pray the humble prayer of a tax collector this week, but more often than just that. The cry of Bartimaeus, have mercy on me. I need your mercy, Lord. Help me. Why should we pray that prayer? Well, because that statement is, is two for two in getting a positive reaction from Jesus. It's a statement that brings about healing. Look at verse 49. 
And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The story is completely driven by one man's plea. Have mercy on me. I love the way that the story ends. Jesus hears him, he heals him, and he hangs out with him. Bartimaeus now has a reason to leave Jericho and a reason to live. Jesus, he follows him right out of town. Tonight as we wrap up, I've got two questions that I want you to consider. Number one, do you have a faith that causes Jesus to stop? Do you have a faith that causes Jesus to stop? I hope so. Isn't that an awesome thought? When he hears the words that come out of your mouth, the things that you cry out, and when he, when he sees how much that you trust him and, and you believe in his power, does it cause him to just stop? What a beautiful thought. When Christ says, wow, that's remarkable faith. As we wrap up this evening, I'd like to close with verse 51. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. What a question. Can you imagine the President of the United States of America, one of the most powerful men in the world, ask you that question right there? You better believe you're thinking big. All right. Anything I want? Oh yeah. Anything you want. You want a new law passed? I'll draw it up. You want to ride an Air Force One? Sure. You want X amount of dollars? You want to move Disneyland into your backyard? Okay, good. Whatever you want, I'll do it. That'd be an incredible thing for him to ask us. But it'd have limits, right? Sure, he could write up your bill, but Congress would probably kill it, right? He couldn't move Disneyland into your backyard. They would sue him. This is Jesus we're talking about here. Jesus who has no limits. And so when he asked this man, what do you want me to do for you? There's really no limit as to what this man can do for you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is standing before a blind, begging, broken generation and asking us the very same question. What do you want me to do for you? Not what can I do for you because the answer to that question is anything. The question he's asking you tonight, what do you want him to do for you? And the way that you answer that question is maybe even more important than the question itself. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you want him to take you home? Do you want him to take away all those sins that you've been struggling with all these years? Do you want him to take away your guilt? Do you want him to save your soul? The gospel begs an answer to that question. What do you want to do with Jesus what do you want Jesus to do for you? If your answer is nothing, I don't really care. If that's the way you choose to answer him, it's not what he wants, but he'll give you what you ask for. 
He'll give you what you want. He won't force you to obey Him. Yet, He stands at the door and knocks. You've got a decision to make. Will you answer His call? Will you follow Him? Tonight, if you'd like to become a Christian, if you'd like to have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, or if you've turned away from Him and you want to come back home, the great news is you've got a chance to make things right right now. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Because you name it, and I'll do it. We hope that tonight you'll make that decision.